Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive, and my guest today is Kelly Garrett. Kelly's one of the top 25 most influential women in Canada, one of the top 100 most powerful women in Canada, and she's now an executive coach, speaker, as well as a consultant. And she's receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award from IABC. So I took that opportunity to talk with Kelly Garrett. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. It's uh, it's always such a great pleasure to talk to you. I really enjoy conversing with you. You're an important person in my life, whether you know that or not. Um, Yay. <laughs> and I thought since um, you're going to be uh, given the Lifetime Achievement Award with IABC, you've received so many wonderful awards. Um, and this, you know, is just another one that'd be a good excuse to talk and share your wisdom or your lessons learned through your life. But first, let's let's catch up. So, what's new? Well, I am a recovering executive, as you know. So, I jumped from my corporate job four years ago this summer, and now I'm working as an executive coach and a speaker and a consultant on strategic planning and culture change so it's eclectic and fun I have a lousy boss she's not very organized that would be me <laughs> I miss IT support etc but it's fun now it's gonna be a really big question to start off on but when you reflect back on um, your entire career what 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 lessons would you uh, have learned or that you could offer to uh, other business leaders uh, or marketers well, I think I learned about how much I had learned when I jumped, actually, because um, now that I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a solo entrepreneur, um, I've been in business four years. I haven't done any marketing per se. It's all been word of mouth and referrals. And so marketing, I think, uh, when it's at its finest is about making sure that what you're marketing matches reality and the experience that people have with your company, with your products, with your service, you know, all that yada yada about touch points. And I think that's absolutely true. And I think that the best advertising, not that we're only talking about advertising, is word of mouth. Some kind of buzz gets going about, uh, gee, their products are even better than they say they are, or the service wowed me, or, uh, their management walks the talk, etc. cetera. Uh, so I have found since I jumped that a lot of those lessons that I did learn in the corporate trenches um, came home to roost because uh, it's not that I don't network and do those kinds of things, but I don't run ads. I'm kind of, kind of intermittent with social media, etc. And I have a website, which Phoenix Group designed and is lovely, mm -hmm. but I don't, uh, I don't do a lot of marketing yet. Um, I think my brand is out there in force. Word of mouth is such a tricky thing. And you mentioned something before that, that I think maybe the two tie together and that's being authentic or finding out what it is, the truth about you, like how or what in your experience has helped word of mouth grow? Um, in my case, I think in my case, you know, one of the things I've been told over and over and over for decades is that I'm so real. And so that was one of the things I was proud about when I became a senior executive and, 
you know, some days the accolades go to your head and you start to believe your own press. But I think for the most part, I was able to remain real with people from all walks of life. So uh, when I write on my website that I'm known for being real and then people experience me, whether it's on stage doing a presentation or as a, a customer of mine, I think the reality matches the buzz, if you will. And I think one of the problems um, that a lot of marketers face in the corporate setting or ad agency setting, or that's probably the, an antiquated term now, <laughs> maybe it's branding <laughs> companies or whatever, uh, is that senior management has a loftier view of what the brand really is. And so wants to uh, convey, and the marketers are the ones who are designing the strategies, of course, and trying to influence, I think, uh, executives to be more real. Um, but they want the brand to match their view of what it is, meaning the executives want it to be, which is loftier than it really is. So then you're kind of hooped because the customer experience can't match what you're purporting it to be. Mm -hmm. It's a, that's a really interesting parallel because um, I know you and one of the things, one of the many things I really love about you is your, um, I guess, real voice and you, you don't, you don't couch things. You're, you're direct, not hurtful, but direct. Sometimes I was hurtful. <laughs> <laughs> Honest. And I think um, that's what's, um, you know, that's what's um a uh, powerful about you, but it's also now you made this parallel to brands, and we encounter that all the time—a a brand that, or a, a business that feels they're everything to everybody, and um, they need that dose of reality. Is there a way, or what are your magic pills that you do that with people that would work with brands as well? Well, I mean, you're a much more savvy marketer than I am, in the sense that you have had a more focused career, whereas mine, um, uh, I was responsible for diverse areas, so kind of strayed for marketing in terms of my focus my whole career. But I think that, um, I think a lot of people are afraid to say, I don't do these things. And, and when, and if you're a good brand, you stand for something, which includes what you don't do and what you don't stand for. And it was kind of interesting when I went, moved into business strategy and started running that for Farm Credit, one of the things I learned was that the most important decision you're making in strategy is what you're gonna say no to. Yet, again, executive teams and boards go off to a retreat, usually somewhere nice, dream up all this blue sky stuff, and uh, don't want to say no to anything. And you can't be all things to all people. You know that better than me. And I think a lot of people are scared to say, well, no, actually, we don't do that. They're afraid they're going to lose a segment of customers, etc. And yet, if you stand for everything, then you really stand for nothing, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I often find it's not only the um, the company that wants to service all these people, but sometimes it's uh, a leadership uh, that wants to listen to all of its different divisions. And the way they listen is by, I guess, letting them uh, add their vision into the overall vision. And mm -hmm. it does become this, this yeah. very clustered view of what what you're doing how do you how do you pare that down 
Well, there's a great word that I won't utter on air that starts with cluster, but <laughs> anything that, uh, you know. It's a podcast. You can yeah, say whatever you want. <laughs> creating a mission or a vision or a brand by committee is a recipe for failure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, I just did a conflict seminar all day with a dysfunctional team this week. And when I was hired, I said, if you want a kumbaya coach to come in and work with your people, I'm not the right person for you. I can recommend some people who will be gentle and so on. I mean, I wasn't disrespectful, but I was pointed in the coaching. And I found a lot of the employees had not uh, engaged in personal accountability work, not just in the work context, but in terms of how they expressed themselves from a personality point of view, which made me wonder about how accountable they are in their personal lives. So I'm very clear when someone comes to me about what I am and what I'm not. And, uh, you know, I'm probably more like Buckley's than a sweet tasting cough (laughs) syrup, you know. Hopefully I'm good for you, but it doesn't always feel that good on the way down. <laughs> so I think it's the same with brands. I mean, I think I, I think business strategy, I think brands should emanate from business strategy, and I think good business strategy is about uh, focusing on your core competency, if you want to use strategy lingo, and what the mm-hmm. business is really good at and good for, and the reason that a lot of businesses fail once they've reached a certain size is they go back to the business strategy table and they decide to stray from their core competency and then they're screwed because then they are, people aren't sure what they stand for anymore. Maybe they're not as good at the thing that they extended into and the brand, brand gets diluted. How, how do you get people, maybe there's no way, self-aware and how do you get a brand self-aware? Well... How do you get people self-aware? So that's a really interesting question. I mean, I'm an executive coach now, and the reason I am is because I had so many great coaches help me get out of my own way. So I do think one of the best ways to become more self-aware is to screw up, and not to the point of maybe being broken, but to the point of waking up and thinking, the way I'm functioning or doing something or leading or whatever it is, isn't really working. So then I think people become more open to uh, maybe feedback or examining how to do things in a different way, et cetera. Um, If you extend it into the brand space, what was the question? How do you get people to look at- Self-aware, yeah. Can a brand be self-aware? And I guess it would be similar to the, 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 I guess, whoever's leading the brand being aware of. I think, I think it's the reality check, and I think people like you and, and those who are experts in your field who, who work with individuals and companies on what their brand is are really good at holding up the mirror in terms of what it is, not just the mirror to the person who's trying to, to say, well, this is what my brand is, but to all the different stakeholders that you appeal to. So I think a good brand is not conceived in a vacuum. It's understanding your current state in terms of how you're perceived and not trying to be something you're not and using that feedback to pull up your socks if it isn't matching what you know your core brand really is. Maybe you've fallen off for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there, um, is there a shortcut other than screwing up a lot? You mean for individual humans or brands? (laughs) 
Um, I think some people, you know, there's lots of talk about emotional intelligence, and and some people are innately more emotionally intelligent than others. They're more intuitive. They're more self-aware. They uh, have uh, social awareness as well, meaning they're cued into where others are at. People think of emotions uh, in the workplace context as, oh, it's just frustration or um, sadness. Well, no, there's a whole gamut of emotions that emotional intelligence refers to, and it's everything from frustration to uh, repressed anger where you might look at someone and can't even tell they're, they're angry. So people who are naturally emotionally intelligent have an advantage. They've done studies that show EQ trumps IQ, for example. Um, but you can flex and grow your emotional intelligence even if you're not born with it as an innate strength. So I think that's one of the things to grow. And one of my favorite ways to learn and grow was to watch people who were naturally good at um, especially interpersonal conflict and um, bouncing diverse ideas around without having a temper tantrum or falling silent if they didn't get their way because the you know innovation and so on is from different points of view and if you're only having one point of view or you stop um, or you get yourself out of the game because you're too frustrated to talk or talk productively well then you're not coming up with the best group ideas you could come up with mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you need to guess have that desire at the outset too to, to mm -hmm. want to discover something mm -hmm. yeah do you um uh, is, is there a way to to spark that or does that just have to come to, to people? spark self-awareness no the desire to become self-aware oh. i mean <laughs> well it's funny you say that because um I, I would say about a quarter of my clients come to me because their boss has decided that they need a coach. <laughs> so they, they may not feel sparked. You right, know? Yeah. So the only spark they have is my boss wants to do this and I don't want to annoy my boss. Uh, the other three quarters do come because of their own volition. So I think that the ones who come of their own volition really do have a spark to improve where they're at. They may not label it as self-awareness initially, but all coaching engagements are about um, shifting from a current state to some desired future state in one way, shape, or another. I'm going to go back to uh, where we started, and that's the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award with the IABC. What comes to mind when you um, think about lifetime achievements and Kelly Garrett? Well, uh, so I call it a long in the tooth award. <laughs> I'm 57, so I'm I'm uh, I'm up there, and it it I feel like I am uh, all those people I listened to when I was young and thought, wow, they're really old, and and now I must be one of those. So, what comes to mind? I mean, communication uh, and advertising was where I started my career in Toronto, and then focused in more on the corporate communication side, then went into marketing and brand, then went into business strategy and so on. So it's specific to IABC and business communication. Um, I think the thing I'm proudest of is that if you're really good at communication and really understand the principles of good communication, then it serves you as a good marketer, as a good brand strategist, as a good anything. And I think a lot of people, a lot of professions, 
would um, be served uh, better by incorporating some kind of understanding about those fields in their own uh, learning journeys. In what, in what, how do you mean that? Um, you know, I think of a lot, well, I took over a lot of different professions in terms of running different divisions. Um, I didn't take over the profession, it's a little <laughs> bit lofty. Uh, and it always surprised me, you know, especially working with some of the researchers. I ran a research group for a while. I ran a call center for a while, product development, that uh, how to influence other areas and how to be aware of the impact of their verbal and written communication just wasn't on their radar. So they sometimes were really frustrated. They have an amazing idea that senior management, for example, should listen to, but they didn't know how to convey it in any other way than to um, uh, trot out the facts and so on and just thought that would speak for itself, but it doesn't. And I think telling the story of a brand is the same way. You need to it's not about spinning a yarn, but it's about putting a compelling story together that resonates with the audience you're trying to reach. Do you find, um, well, a couple thoughts from that, do you find that in an organization there's great understanding of the brand or what it is we're trying, what the brand is trying to do? I think it's a rare company where that's really well understood. Um, we started working on the notion of brand ambassadors quite a few years after I started working in brand and marketing because we started to understand that it was like Charlie Brown's mother when we went to a uh, staff meeting in another division. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, so I, think, I think a lot of other parts of companies think of brand as the logo and, and uh, the zippy do ads when we did a lot more ads and social media didn't exist. Um, they don't really understand, most of them I would say, don't really understand uh, the science and art behind it. So I think it's a really good thing to be part of your toolkit if you do run brand and marketing to educate those within your company about what it can do and how it can add to profits and erode them too. And now as uh, Kelly Garrett, entrepreneur and uh, solo business owner, how does, um, you talked about marketing through word of mouth, how, how, are, how are things going as far as that goes? Well, I, you know, one of the, it, I'm going to kind of shoot myself in the foot in terms of, you know, what do you stand for and what do you not stand for? So I thought, okay, my niche is going to be, um, kind of a tough love coach, um, executive coach, fairly senior in executives, and I'll also be interested in doing leadership and culture change consulting and speaking on those topics. Well, I have found myself to be doing a really eclectic array of things. So yes, I'm doing those things, but I'm also still involved in running business strategy sessions, and I thought I was kind of done with that part of the movie, but I do enjoy it. And the chief thing I enjoy is connecting business strategy to the brand and the value proposition and challenging executives to not look at things in isolation because I find they want to do the business strategy and then marketing is going to do the value proposition and so right. on, but they're intertwined. So I'm doing those kinds of things. Um, I'm writing a kid's book on autism. Oh, um, wow. 
geared at sort of eight-year-olds. Uh, it's like one in 58 kids is diagnosed now. They don't understand why it's so pervasive. So that's one of the things I'm playing with. It's fun to do more creative pursuits. Mm-hmm. And I'm also really thrilled to be doing some work with Brene Brown in the U.S., who uh, has written some books like Daring Greatly and Rising Strong about the power of vulnerability and courage in our personal lives, but as well in the work as in the workplace. So that's cool. We go into companies and help their leaders be more courageous. Wow, that's uh, that's huge. That's that's exciting. Yeah, really exciting. So just to um, step back to one again, one of the things that you said was talking about um, that idea of brand and strategy and um, I guess the business strategy and the brand strategy or the value props coming together. And as I get longer in the tooth myself, uh, not far behind you, I find that that's um, and maybe it's becoming more common or maybe I'm just locked into it now that the two have to be the same, like they cannot exist apart. Totally. I totally agree. How, um, what are the big challenges in bringing them together? Well, I think it stems from the thing we were talking about earlier, which is that it's a bit of a black art or a dark art anyway, in terms of the accountants and the lawyers and the quant people, um, often don't, not always, but often don't understand what brand and marketing and value propositions are. So they're not terribly comfortable engaging in those kinds of discussions. So I think you have to be really creative in how you structure uh, facilitated sessions so that you're not focusing so much on the buzzwords as you are uh, ROI and what's really bringing in the biggest segment of the market and those kinds of things so that they feel they can comment. I was going to say, I feel like we're sometimes at fault ourselves in that we sort of present brand as this soft stuff that, you know, oh, it's customer experience and all these things and not talking in the language of the business uh, so that they they um, see it as a, that you're talking in, in a valuable right. terms as opposed to yeah. other terms. And the value of research. So I worked with a brilliant researcher at Farm Credit. His name's Fred Wall and he's still there. And he devised this customer experience index that really pinpointed the touch points that made customers feel wowed, feel um, understood, and so on, and and quite intangible things. But he created this metric that really resonated with senior management and was easily understood by employees and we could incorporate in the brand work. So having a fantastic researcher at your uh, disposal is also a wonderful thing to do. So what, um, I don't need to get into anything proprietary, but what are the, what are the high end touch points that are, were that connected, I guess the two? Um, well, I think, uh, when you start showing, uh, what a customer experience index is for a given office or territory and compare it to the other metrics like employee engagement, like uh, lending volumes, whatever matters for your company, mm-hmm. uh, it does seem to be inescapably connected. You know, the degree to which it can be connected and all that other stuff, I'm not a mathematician. I couldn't be the one to explain that. But when you start focusing executives and employees on, gee, it, 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 it's not just coincidence that these kinds of things generally seem to have a lift when the customer experience is higher. 
um, you get the attention of everyone, the accountants, and not pick on the accountants, but they do like the numbers. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. Kelly, thank you very much. I, uh, it's, always, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I really appreciate you stopping by. And congratulations again on uh, thank the, the soon-to-be-named Lifetime Achievement Award, or soon-to-be-given-to-you Lifetime Achievement right. Award. Thank you so much, Dave. That's the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to Lessons Learned in Marketing on iTunes or Stitcher or through your favorite podcast app. Join me again next week.